This is Alan Seaborn from Winning at Home. Welcome to In Progress, a podcast about faith, life, and how we grow. And I know that previously I talked about, uh, you know, we're right around Christmas and New Year's at the time that this episode's releasing. And I said, that's probably going to be the only time you hear from me about Christmas or New Year's. And I'm actually thinking that I know we're post-Christmas now, but I want to talk a little bit about um, the prophecies throughout the Old Testament. going to specifically look at one thing, one moment where through the prophet Jeremiah, God lets his people know that they're waiting for someone. They knew to call him the Messiah. They knew that who we now know is Jesus. There would be this anointed one, this Emmanuel, God with us, who would come and live amongst God's people. Now, we talked in a previous episode, it's probably been 20 or so episodes ago, about how when Jesus came, he actually was a disappointment for a lot of people because they had in their heads that the Messiah was going to come as a conquering king and was going to make everything right, finally. Israel would be the... I think a lot of people thought that Israel would be the dominant military capital of the world. And now instead of being this small nation that all the big powerful nations bullied, they were going to be the bully. I really think that that's how a lot of people saw the Messiah coming at some point in the future. And I want to talk a little bit about where I think that idea came from today, because like I say, we're going to look at Jeremiah chapter 33. And before I read the passage, I need to give a little bit of a background here, because Jeremiah, you may be familiar with this, he was a prophet who filled mostly the role that we associate with um, the confronting and the Uh, disciplining, in some ways, prophetic role. So he was speaking truth to power in the way that we would talk about it now. And most of the time he was bringing truth from God. All the time he was bringing truth from God. But most of the time he was bringing kind of bad news. And so in Jeremiah chapter 33, He's in prison, and the reason for that is because he was speaking what God told him to speak to the king, and what God told him to speak was that the nation and the city specifically was going to fall because they were in the midst of being besieged by the Babylonian Empire, by King Nebuchadnezzar. And, you know, I'm not really big into like the period peace war movies and that kind of stuff. But I think I'm guessing that pretty much everyone at least has seen one at some point of what it looks like when a city is under siege 
you've got a city with these huge walls. And then on the outside, you've got this army that's coming to try to get inside of the city. They're trying to get through or over or around or under these walls because if they can get inside the walls, their numbers matter a lot more. And this is the Babylonian army that we're talking about. So they've got numbers. And they know if they can breach this wall, they can take the city. And they're going to kill a lot of people in the process. So what they've set up on the outside, as you can imagine from seeing those movies or shows or, or however it is that you've got this image in your head, they're building some points siege ramps to maybe try to get up over top of the wall. They're using catapults to try to knock some hole into the wall. They're attacking and shooting arrows and whatever else they can come up with at any of the sentries or guardians that are on top of the wall of the city of Jerusalem. And in the midst of this, you can imagine the tension and the panic and the frustration and the uncertainty that everyone living inside of Jerusalem lives with every single day. Because some people are probably thinking, well, it's just a matter of time. Some people are holding out hope, man, maybe those walls are sturdy enough and they're going to hold forever and, and we can just do our thing in here. And I guess we can never leave our city, but maybe we will die a natural death instead of in a battle. And in the midst of that, Jeremiah prophesies and says, the city is going to fall. And the king didn't like that, obviously. That's not good for morale. That's going to upset whoever hears this prophecy. And so he takes Jeremiah and he throws him in prison. For me, a lot of the stories in the Old Testament, they kind of blend together. And especially when you get into these moments where there's some historical, uh, the way that we would think of it as like a, the history part of Scripture, when it's mixed in with all of the prophetic three, four chapters in a row of prophecy, and then there's like two or three little paragraphs about then this did happen, and then we go back to prophecy again, all that stuff kind of blends together for me. And I don't know, maybe it doesn't happen to you, but for me, I'm like, yeah, I know that a lot of tough stuff happened in the midst of all this prophecy, but I don't really know the timeline and I'm not sure that I could even keep it straight if I tried to. So what happens here is Jeremiah's prophesying that Jerusalem, the city, will fall. Now the temple, which we've spent time talking about in a few different episodes, the one place that has been sanctioned for the people of Israel to go and to worship and offer sacrifices to God, that is in Jerusalem. This is the capital in not just in the sense of what happens from a you know, political standpoint, but this is the capital from a religious standpoint. This is the place where Israelites have a chance to know that they can draw near to God. And Jeremiah is saying, 
this place, it's going to fall. The walls are going to be destroyed. And there's going to be damage and destruction throughout the entire city. Now, obviously, you get why that would be so upsetting and why the king is trying to do whatever he can to stop people from hearing this message because it's upsetting. So he's got Jeremiah in prison, and I want to focus in on a couple verses here in the midst of waiting to be seed or really under siege and waiting to be conquered by the Babylonian army. Jeremiah in prison. Everybody is feeling the stress and the tension and the frustration of basically being just sitting ducks and worrying that one of these days the walls are going to fall and after that who knows what kind of chaos is going to happen, but probably most of us are going to die. Probably most of our city will be destroyed. And by the way, that is what eventually happened. Um, The walls and the important places throughout Jerusalem were destroyed when the city fell to Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar. The temple was destroyed. And the king, who threw... Jeremiah in prison for prophesying that this fall was coming. The Babylonians, King Nebuchadnezzar, they rounded up the king and his entire family and they killed all the king's children in front of him. And after they did that, they gouged out his eyes because they wanted to make sure that was the last thing that he ever saw in his entire life. It's a horrific, horrific moment, I was going to say, but it was surely longer than that. A horrific day or week or, or who knows how long this would take to play out. And so after Jeremiah prophesies that this destruction is coming, in the middle of talking about because The covenant with God has been broken because people, instead of worshiping God, are offering sacrifices to Baal. Instead of worshiping God, people are offering sacrifices, which this would have been usually child sacrifice to the false god of Molech. And because the people were departing from what God called them to, This destruction was coming. And in the middle of chapter 33, that kind of starts talking about this destruction. And then later in chapter 33, talks a little bit more about it. In the middle of that, Jeremiah 33, verse 14. The days are coming, declares the Lord. When I will fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. 
This is the name by which it will be called, the Lord, our righteous Savior. Now I want you to feel the weight of in the middle of living amidst this stress that any day the shoe's going to drop, any day our city's going to fall, and I don't know what that means for me and my family. I don't know what that means for this city that we've spent time building, for the temple where we have a chance to go and worship God. People are hearing from Jeremiah. Basically, imagine hearing that about where you live right now. He might as well be saying, hey, the end is coming. Right? And then right in the midst of that, is this prophecy, is this reminder that, you know what, all hope is not lost. Because what God has promised, and I want you to hear the word, or the phrasing that he uses to describe this, because the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promise I made. So he's pointing back, this is a promise that already exists, the Messiah, the anointed one, God with us. This promise that was already made, the fulfillment of that is coming. Where a branch from David's line, which what they would hear is, I mean, King David, as you know, was shorthand in Israel and in Scripture for a king who seeks God, for a king who does what is right. Now, David wasn't perfect, but to say there's a a king coming from David's line, which, you know, lineage and bloodline, that stuff is important when it comes to royalty, but pointing to David because he was kind of the ideal king as the people of Israel would think about it. So there is this good promise that God made. He's reminding his people of, and this is going to be a branch from David's line. And then it says he will do what is just and right in the land. Now, don't you think that that line right there speaks to every single person and exactly what we want what we want think of how many times throughout your average day or week i don't know how many times you think as you watch something happen that's just not right that's not the way it should be done if i had any control over this i would fix it i would do this the right way God is telling his people that right now you're living in the middle of preparing for your city to fall, preparing to potentially lose your life. But I want you to know that my promise isn't going to be unfulfilled even in the midst of that. That my promise is that there will be a coming leader, a coming uh, Messiah. I 
that's the word for it. A coming Messiah who will do what is just and right. And when I read through these passages, uh, what I see and what I'm reminded of, and this is something that, you know, if you've been listening throughout all the episodes, you're probably like, yeah, we know you think that. You talk about that a lot. Is that God, when he keeps his promises, which he does, we sometimes miss the fulfillment of these promises because we're so locked in on them meaning one specific thing. And I've talked about that in relationship to my health stuff. I've talked about that in relationship to uh, some relational stuff. And I'm guessing as I've talked about it, you've related. Because we all know what it feels like to be praying and to be crying out and to be saying, God, here's how I need you to show up. And it'd be great if you did it today, but I need you to do this, this, this. And that's what it would look like, God, if you were to fulfill your promise, if you were to keep your word, you would show up and you would do these specific things. And then what we find is that instead of doing that, usually, right? What we find is God definitely shows up. God definitely does his thing. God definitely fulfills his promises. But it's often in ways that are different than what we first imagined. And when that happens, sometimes, just like many people in Israel, many Jewish people rejected Jesus as Messiah because for generations they had heard it passed down. I mean, think of how you would interpret this prophecy of God saying, yeah, I'm going to fulfill my good promise and there's going to be someone from the line of David That'll do what's just and right and Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. Well, how are you going to interpret that? We've got a king coming. We've got somebody that's going to put things in order and if necessary, which it will be, they're going to do that by force. And finally, we're going to be the top dog. We're going to be number one in the pecking order and everybody else is going to have to deal with us doing whatever we want. Because for so, so, so long, we've had to deal with every other powerful nation just doing whatever they feel like doing to us. And one day, that's going to be us. That is definitely how we would interpret that. If we're living in a city that's just about to fall, and there's a promise of, one coming who will make things right. The only way we're going to be interpreting that, right, is we're going to have somebody riding in at the last second that's going to save all of this, that's going to prevent anything bad from ever happening to us, and we can inflict all that bad stuff on these Babylonians who are 
who have us surrounded, who are putting our city under siege right now. And then, when God did fulfill his promise, it didn't look the way that everybody pictured it was going to look. And I think we find ourselves in that moment quite often. We find that God meets us, but it's not in the way that we wanted him to do it. And so we don't, we don't really count it, right? We're like, well, yeah, God, you definitely did this and you definitely encouraged me in the midst of what I was going through. And that's cool, but I'm waiting for you to actually do something. That's how we think, isn't it? And just like so many people in Israel who had grown up hearing the stories that we're under right now when Jesus was born, we're under Roman oppression, but eventually the Messiah is coming and he's going to throw all these people off of controlling us and we're going to be the ones that run this world. And then when Jesus came, he was talking about this kingdom of heaven. This, well, why do you keep saying kingdom of heaven? We need a kingdom here on earth. Jesus, you're supposed to be a military leader and we're supposed to go out there and make this stuff right. But you hear from Jeremiah, from hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before this prophecy, Jeremiah 33, 15, talking about the Messiah to come, he will do what is just and right in the land. That's Jesus, right? He came and he preached about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. He told people And now, by extension, because that's recorded, we know this, and he told us, too, that we have the opportunity to live life according to God's standard, according to the way that he laid out for us to live. And that's not the power move that so many people were expecting. And that's why Jesus wasn't accepted by so many people. And I just see so clearly that parallel in my own life. And for me, I don't think I would have noticed it in some of the more, I don't know, quote unquote, minor parts of my life if I didn't first see it in this major health thing that I'm dealing with and living with and struggling through and feel like it's been putting a damper on or some days flat out feels like ruining my life for seven years or however long. I always forget how long it's been. It's been a long time. And for the longest time in the midst of that, I was saying, okay, God, if you're going to show up, uh, help me figure out what's wrong and give me give me the solution to it. Give me the treatment. Give me the medication. Give me the thing I can stop doing right now that will bring me healing, 
that's the only way, God, that I'll interpret you working in the midst of what I'm going through. And I was really challenged and I was really angry and I was really feeling like this is unfair and this is not okay and these are not answers when God tried to meet me in the midst of what I was going through instead of meet me by bringing an end to what I was going through and seeing that and watching the way it played out in my life it first it helped me and I don't do this perfectly but trying to do a podcast where I share about some of my personal struggles through dealing with this health stuff is part of what I'm trying to do like we talked about in a previous episode of living like Joseph did of meeting people in the midst of being in you know quote unquote prison and trying to bring hope and help to the people around me in similar circumstances and when I started to see that I realized how often in other aspects of my life whether it's just a a situation where there's conflict between me and someone that I'm close to where there's a situation where uh, there's a difficult thing that's happening in my life or in somebody's life that I'm I really care about and I find that I lock in to here's the solution all right God now you make this solution happen and as time after time after time God doesn't show up in the way I'm trying to make him show up but he does show up right you you see that just because he doesn't work the way we want him to work, it doesn't mean that he's not at work. And so God shows up. And it's really easy to miss it or to ignore it or to, if we're totally honest, be annoyed about how he showed up instead of showing up the way we wanted him to. And when I read these words in Jeremiah, in the middle of what's going on, in the middle of a city under siege, the holy city Jerusalem is about to be destroyed and the temple along with it. And in a lot of ways, God's reputation, right? Because everybody in the nations around Israel knows Jerusalem is the spot to go and worship this God that we've heard about called Yahweh or Jehovah or the Lord of hosts or or all the different ways that the people of Israel talked about God. They say, we know he's in Jerusalem. And if Jerusalem falls, what do you think that tells everybody about God's power and authority? And God didn't show up in the way that everybody expected him to. When Jesus came, it wasn't as a conquering king. 
And when God shows up in our moments of pain and unknown and suffering and confusion and frustration and moments when we're tempted to lash out, when God shows up in the middle of that, it's often not the way that we would have pictured, not the way that we would have drawn it up, even in ways that we think would make him look like probably I'm sure people had to think when he let the temple be destroyed. God, if you don't show up the way I want you to show up, it's going to make you look weak. Don't, don't you care about that? You see how quickly we try, just like we do with people around us. We try to manipulate God into doing exactly what we want instead of understanding that just because he doesn't show up our way doesn't mean that he's not showing up, doesn't mean that he's not involved. And that's what I'm reminded of by this beautiful, hope-filled prophecy being in the middle of some other prophecy about the reality of what's coming, about the fall of the city, about the destruction of the temple, about the loss of life, about everything bad that's about to come. That's talked about before this uh, prophecy and after. And in the middle, like he so often does, God meets his people with hope. What I want to encourage all of us to do is not miss that hope. That when we're in the midst of tough, heavy, awful stuff that we would never choose, that we don't miss when God shows up because he does it in a different way than what we wanted and what we thought we needed. Because what we find is that God's solutions, God's healing, God's restoration and his hope and his life in the big picture is a whole lot better than whatever we're imagining that we're in need of in that moment. And when we see that play out time and time and time again, it encourages us and it challenges us to learn how to trust him more. So let's go do that.